In this special Christmas podcast, Gary and I address a yuletide potpourri of issues. From an astounding new poll giving more evidence of actual voter fraud in the 2020 election, to Democrat money from Tennessee funding the campaign of so-called Republican Nikki Haley, and why the so-called school choice push may end all choice in education. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and with my good friend Gary Humble, this is the Freedom Matters Podcast. Ooh, nice little rendition of something. <laughs> well, that was very generic. Angels <laughs> we have heard on high. Now, I'm not just going to ask you to give me the title because, well, of course, you know the, the title. title is done there. But and the mountains in reply. Who's the artist? It's not, it's not Josh Groban. It is. It? it is Josh Groban? All right, so nice. since you got that, I'm going to ask you to t- tell me the name of the duet, duetter. The man with whom he's doing the duet in the second verse. Ooh, that's This is more difficult, although he's got a beautiful voice coming up. One of my favorite Christmas I've always, albums. I've always loved this song. Yes. Oh, Such a great song. When I grew up, it was the candle lighting. It was the end of the Christmas Eve service song, the last one we sang before we went out and held up our candles. It's usually Silent Night, but I like this one better for that, yeah. All right, name him. Here he goes. It's a hard one. Come adore on Christ the Lord. I don't know, I can't pin that. Alright. Brian McKnight. Ah. Ah. I love his voice. Yes, one of my favorite Christmas songs and one of my favorite Christmas voices. Um Definitely, definitely sets the mood. That's that's a great tone for setting the mood for Christmas, right yeah. there. Yeah. So this this uh, will air on December twentieth, right? Yeah. So Christmas pre Christmas episode, and I'm also looking at a brand new computer, Gary. I don't know if you recognize. Ooh, yeah, this look nice. I've got a yeah. a new Mac laptop. About every four or five years, my processor gets really slow and loud and it's amazing when when you get a new computer just like getting a new phone everything works quickly and everything's clean and it's really easy there's, to see there's no nicks no smudges <laughs> looks yeah. very nice and clean so my eyes already just today have been put at rest gary i want to start with um a an intriguing story that was in the blaze media i believe yesterday a couple days ago december 12th Authors were Chris Talgo and Jack McFerrin. And what I find compelling about this article is not, it's about voter fraud. It's called New Poll Finds Rampant Mail-In Voting Fraud in the 2020 Election. And what's most fascinating about this story is not that it further uh, proves what we've all known is the, uh, the abundance of electoral fraud, but the fact that there was a poll done and people actually admitted to it. It wasn't just a scenario of, We found evidence over here and bring these people before a grand jury or before a court, but rather it's just a poll. It was a fascinating idea to do a poll and say, did you participate in election fraud? So listen to this. One in five voters who cast mail-in ballots during the 2020 presidential election admit 
to participating in at least one kind of voter fraud, according to a new poll conducted by Rasmussen and the Heartland Institute. (laughs) So they admit this. Listen to these details. 21% of mail-in voters admitted that they filled out a ballot for a friend or a family member. 19% admitted that a friend or family member filled out a ballot on their behalf. 17% admitted they voted in a state where they were no longer a permanent resident. And 17% of mail-in voters said they signed a ballot for a friend or family member with or without his or her permission. All of these are obviously voter fraud. Just just pause and think about that for a minute. This is 1,085 likely voters. So small number, but done within yeah, the consistency of extrapolate weight. those statistics. Absolutely, yeah. the poll was run between November thirtieth and December sixth. Margin of error of plus or minus three percentage points, and a ninety-five percent level of confidence. So, article goes on to say, using only the most conservative estimate, the number of fraudulent ballots is still astronomical. According to election data, 43% of 2020 voters cast ballots by mail. So here's the context. Wait, wait. How many voters in 2020 cast ballots by mail? 43% of the total votes cast in 2020 were by mail. That is... So you take 21% of that, that yields approximately 9% of the total total votes were fraudulent. So according to the Cook Political Report... There were a total of 158,397,000 votes cast for either Joe Biden or Donald Trump and a few miscellaneous little candidates. And you are well within the margin. Oh, so if you take 9% of this total, that means more than 14 million ballots cast in 2020 were fraudulent. 14 million. And what do people always tell us? No evidence. No, no evidence. Of voter fraud Zero. whatsoever. Even when they admit it. Yes, I did it. No, there's no evidence. Don't you find that astounding? So this, what's exciting to me in a kind of depressing way is that this is a new angle for for discovering this information because we are so used to saying there's a case going on in Michigan, there's a case going on in Arizona, there's a case going on in Pennsylvania. But this was a survey and people said, yeah, I filled out a (laughs) voter registration or a, sorry, a vote for someone else. I filled out a vote in a state in which I no longer live. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that I had no idea that 43% nationally of our votes were cast by mail. No idea, which honestly, that that's an interesting t- statistic because really that's that puts sheds a little bit more light on where election fraud goes beyond just the machines, right? Mm-hmm. Like this, we're not just facing a an issue of the machines. Right. Uh, like I, I think that's still an issue here in Tennessee, but you know this also. So that that's one thing that that's like that's an that's an astronomical number. I had no idea, but then that also goes back to what we were talking about last week. This idea that how, how can we ever expect to elect another Republican in the White House or or someone that we're actually electing right? Whenever almost half the votes are being sent in by mail, which goes to the point. You know the problem is we can't. And, and nor should we, by the way, nor should we. But we can't control these processes in these other states. Right. I mean, the fact that, that any state allows uh, in a, in, uh, a vote to come in by mail or these drop boxes, I mean, I think they probably count them the same, right? I mean, it's kind yep. of the same deal. Yep. 
Um, these states that are that are doing these votes by mail and drop boxes are absolutely insane. They're they're, they're killing uh, the integrity of our elections. Yes. And uh, you know, it was interesting on the mail-in thing. I remember about a year ago because we have a lot of folks that come. I don't know what the what the magnetism is, but we have a lot of folks that whenever we do a Tennessee stands event, uh, people that have moved here from California and out of state, they'll a lot of folks will attend. And I remember talking to this couple from California. They were it was sort of around the election time, and they were they were so confused as to how to vote and how to get engaged and where to vote in Tennessee because they always got it in the mail. You know, they they just they're used that, to getting a ballot in the mail and they get the ballot in the mail and they send it in the mail and like that's how you vote. So they never went. No, just no or, concept of going find your polling place and voting. See, they're like they're like, how do we vote? I'm like, uh, you you go to the local elementary school or the election office and you go vote. Curious, how old roughly were these folks? Yeah, maybe, you know, late 30s, something like that. Which tells you that it's generational, right? Because my parents, when I grew up in Pennsylvania, of course, back then, voting was on one day, and you only did it in person, right? The only mail-in was for military, right? Or if you happened to be in college. Absentee, something like that. True absentee. Yeah. But it was a big deal. There were people who not only voted, but they made it an event. They said, hey, we come home from work, change our clothes, go vote before the polls close, and then go out to dinner, right? It, it was an event. The idea of mail-in voting is clearly generational, and so if you say someone's 30, then I get it, and that's that's the problem because you have a a, a generation now that doesn't know any different in many places, yeah. right? It's, re- it's really incredible. So, yeah, that's... That report you just read, um, I mean, that statistic for me, that just that seals the deal. There's with that kind of setup, you honestly you you can't have any hope whatsoever that we're having valid federal elections. Right. Be, because, again, we can't control what's happening in these other states, especially when you consider this. And here's a here's another quiz for you, Gary, of those mail in ballots, those three hundred and eighteen million. Is that what it was? Sorry, 43%. What's that number I used? Uh, it's 21% of the 43%, total yeah. of 9%. Yeah, what was the actual hard number? I don't remember. Well, 10% would be 15 million. So, yeah, roughly 15, 14 million was the number. Okay, do you know how many of those were rejected? So there's 14 million mail-in that, ha- that are admitted, yeah. right, if you extrapolate from this survey, to have been fraudulent and if they were fraudulent, you would hope that somewhere in the process they would be rejected. I bet the number is either zero or very, very small, statistically. Eight-tenths of one percent. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right? So almost expect. zero yeah. statistically. And and what was the margin of error in Pennsylvania after we spent all night stuffing the ballot box and in Wisconsin and others? I mean— Went in like 80,000 or something like yeah. that? I can't recall, but it was close. So fourteen million as compared to that, yeah. and 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 Arizona and Michigan, yeah. The the evidence is overwhelming that we don't have currently a fair, uh, or certainly nothing with any kind of integrity election process. Yeah, it wasn't in like you know I'm trying to I'm trying to recall was it Pennsylvania that gained. Biden gained like 300,000 votes overnight or something, something well, ridiculous Yeah, like most that. people went to bed and Trump was up by 800,000 votes. So yeah. people thought it's a done deal, right? Yeah. It's like being ahead 
45 to nothing with 10 minutes left in the game. Well, but we had to go to bed because the water main had busted and we we couldn't go any (laughs) further. Right. Couldn't count anymore. I knew as soon as that slowed down, I'm like, yep, the fix is in. There it goes. All right. So from that article, we're talking about. Quick story, though, Uh about that, because that's bringing back some memories. In that election. (laughs) Not good ones. No. Funny enough, in, in that 2020 election, of course, we're. All stuck home, COVID, all the all the stupid nonsense. Well, I decided I was going to teach my two older boys about the electoral college system. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was all excited. I printed off uh, blank copies of the United States map, and so we're sitting in front of the TV, and as the count's coming in, we're coloring in the states. You know, red, blue. Of course, <laughs> the the first issue is it's like, well, damn, we just. We just colored Arizona red. Now, well, now what do we do? <laughs> now we've got to, not sure how to fix that. And then, of course, the whole you know it ended up being ten o'clock. I'm like, hey, boys, it's time to go to bed. We'll fi- we'll fix this in the morning. So that, that was such a uh, I was so frustrated <laughs> with that. I don't know why I tried to do that, thinking we were actually going to have somehow. I, somehow I actually thought we were going to have an election, and we were actually going to color in mm-hmm. states anyway. So, moving from that to Tennessee, although still connected with the presidential process, the electoral process, Nikki Haley, who I I think I've said on this program, used to be someone I admired. I no longer admire her. Um, I think her, her words and her actions and her decisions have clearly aligned with establishment, if not the left. Yeah. She's definitely gone off uh, the reservation. Um, So... An article came out in the Epic Times, I believe it was just yesterday. Author's name is Austin Alonzo. Yes, December 14th. And this article, the premise of the article is to show how much money that Nikki Haley and her PACs, the Nikki Haley supporting PACs, are getting from Democrats or people who've traditionally given to Democrats. One of which, Gary, is from not only the state of Tennessee. There's two from Tennessee, but one in particular. Oh, But before we get there, do you know who the biggest single donor to Stand for America Fund, which is her biggest PAC? Do you know who he is? Let me have it. His name is Jan Coom, and he's a Ukrainian-American billionaire. No No way. (laughs) Yes. He actually um, was the founder of WhatsApp. So he got his $19.3 billion from Facebook when they bought WhatsApp, and he's given to both Democrat and Republican. But there's... You gotta love all these ties. Yes, I, I was wondering myself, despite his his own billionaire status, how much money that we're sending to Ukraine works its way to people like that, yeah. and then find its way did into he, a campaign. Did he, did he invoice FTX before he? <laughs> yes, yeah. wonder. All right, so in our own backyard, a gentleman by the name of Vivek Garapali is co-founder and executive chairperson of Franklin, Tennessee-based Clover Health gave a million dollars to this SFA fund. Again, that's Nikki Haley's Stand for America Political Action Committee. And this healthcare entrepreneur is a consistent political donor to the Democratic Party causes, including he gave 250 grand to the Democrat supporting Senate Majority PAC. He's given 750,000 uh, to that PAC since 2019. He gave 265,000 to the DNC and other leftist causes well gary i did a little research this morning to say to determine who is he where is he from and if you go online to this again it's called clover health and to their board of directors first of all most of them are not from tennessee these are new york new jersey northeastern liberals 
and my eyes opened really wide when I got down to the third person on the board. And oh do you boy. know who it is? No. Chelsea Clinton. Come on. <laughs> Chelsea Clinton has served as a member of our board of directors of, of this uh, Clover Health since February of 2017. But but Clover this Health is, is based in Franklin, Tennessee. Based in Franklin, Tennessee. <laughs> Gosh. Right? Because, you know. Of course, Williamson County. Of course it's connected. Yeah. Healthcare. So it's good that our audience know that right here in Franklin is is a company that's funded by and run by people who don't even live here or certainly don't have much history sure. of being in Tennessee. And they're donating this Democrat-raised money to Nikki Haley, which raises the question, why? What What do you think they're doing? It's incredible that a woman like this can actually run for president and stand on a Republican platform with a straight face at this point. Mm -hmm. um, not only by the things that she's said publicly, but with how she's funded. And by the way, worth noting, since we're bringing this to Tennessee, I can't remember the ladies' names, uh, but I can tell you who their husbands are. So wife of Ward Baker. Um, okay. you know, uh, and he's a political consultant, yeah, right? very heavy hitting political consultant runs campaigns for Marshall Blackburn, Bill Haggerty, uh, the infamous Jack Johnson, <laughs> his wife, as well as the wife of Stuart McWhorter, who is currently the commissioner of economic development for Tennessee under Bill Lee and, um, seemingly, uh, a governor hopeful for 2026, his wife, their two wives within the I think maybe sixty days ago uh, held a um, hosted a fundraiser for Nikki Haley. Really? Yeah. So you know it's it's just it's interesting to me to look at the the political landscape in Tennessee and and all the people who publicly oh I'm you know Trump this Trump dissent well Republican Party blah blah blah, but behind the scenes you know these are the types of people that they support and it's it's incredible that they. They shirk back whenever the grassroots uses terms like the uniparty. But what mm -hmm. else? Do, what else do you say when you see things yep. like that? Because these aren't these aren't conservatives. These aren't even Republicans. These aren't I, I, these are people that are that espouse ideas that are antithetical to everything we hold to be an American ideal. But and there's that, another Tennessee connection, by the way, to Nikki Haley and this. Um this this money that's not uh, not traditionally Republican money. There's a gentleman by the name of Christopher Redlich Jr., who is a member of the board of the San Francisco-based Gladstone Foundation and the board of overseers at the Hoover Institute. He gave over a million dollars to SFA fund between March and June. He formerly was chairman of Marine Terminals uh, Marine Terminals Corps of San Francisco. Now lives in Murfreesboro. Wow. So. It says he's typically a Republican donor, but he gave $2,800 to Joe Biden, and he also gave $2,300 to Hillary Clinton. We're going to have a war here soon in Tennessee. You know, it because it, it seems to, it's, in, it's an interesting mix. There are people from all walks of life moving. I think a lot of folks are moving here as legitimate freedom refugees. I mean, there's a lot of great patriots that I've met that are moving to Tennessee, and that's a good thing. But at the same time, I mean, you've got then you have this. Yeah, then you have this. So, you know, we're we're Tennessee is starting to feel like ground zero of this ideological war that we're fighting all across the country. Yeah. And it's important that those who are on and claim to be on our side understand that it is an ideological war, because if they act as if it's the status quo and these are just, quote unquote, traditional Republicans and Democrats arguing over 
the finer points of American freedom. No, this is Marxist, communist, globalist versus true Americans, i.e. Americans who are concerned about personal liberty and national sovereignty. Absolutely. Crazy. So, by the way, Gary, you know what I did today? What's that? I signed up for TCN, Tucker Carlson's oh, new network. You? Yes. <laughs> Awesome. Got, got the annual, it's, uh, yeah, not, what is, what is not, that, it's by the $72 way? for a year. Okay. And that gives you full access behind the scenes because he has like a, look at this list. I found it fascinating. He has the Tucker Carlson encounter, Tucker Carlson uncensored, the Tucker Carlson interview, TC shorts, like TC mitts, <laughs> <laughs> ask Tucker after Tucker Carlson sworn enemy tour and Tucker Carlson films. So I love, look look at this, Theater of the Mind, but TCN, you can just see like TBN or CNN, it's a right? CNN, it's, yeah, it's awesome off. that he's setting up his own network. And, and I love it because, you know, he was going to do this on Twitter, yeah. but there's probably more to it behind the scenes, including complete freedom that he was perhaps concerned about losing down the road. But he said Twitter didn't have the ability to go as fast as he needed sure. to go to set this up. So I hadn't taken a look at that yet. So no, so clearly no other personalities yet on his network. That's what I was curious about. So other than yeah, uh, other than himself, all of his interviews though. Oh right. I mean the, the people that he's had on there are. But there's no other personality that has a show. Correct. On, yeah, on his network. Yeah, right now it's just him. I would have to imagine that 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 would be coming at some point. I'm sure it would. I actually, mean, con- actually contemplated whether or not this was heading towards some kind of a merger between Infowars and <laughs> Tucker Carlson Network. <laughs> Boy, uh, that got a lot of attention this week, though, didn't it? It did, and it and it's still getting right, rightly so. It's still getting attention, and there, it, it's been fun. <laughs> it's been fun to watch uh, the things that Alex Jones is putting out on Twitter now. I mean, he is not holding back. He's just he's putting it all out. Yeah, there. he's fr- he's free, right? He's yeah. back on the yeah. He he's not like dipping his toe in the water. He's just vomiting on the truth all over Twitter. So it's uh, well, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure that all of it's the truth, but sure. It's, but there's enough that is true. There's enough. Yeah, that's. He's stirring the pot for sure. It's he, fun to watch. Yeah, and you can tell by the the nature of the attacks against him. If you read the stories, they always start off with Alex Jones, the guy who owe, who owes millions of dollars to Sandy Hook families for you know disparaging them alex jones who believed and then they'll they'll tie him to some actual conspiracy theory right doesn't change the fact that i don't know what the exact percent but more he speaks more truth than what is not provable and of course as expected i can't remember who the personality was but uh (laughs) this statement i think i saw this this morning the statement was, uh, well, you know, since Alex Jones now is back on Twitter, clearly Elon doesn't believe in free speech. I'm going to be leaving Twitter. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes, I saw D. Snyder, member of Twisted Sister. Yeah. He, he He's taking the position, basically, that people do when they say, well, if, if Trump is elected president, I'm leaving the country, but they never do. I, I think now that you say that, that may actually be who I'm referencing. Yeah, D. Right? Snyder said, well, I'm going to leave X because this isn't free speech. This isn't free speech. <laughs> Okay. Like really? Uh, then what is free yeah, speech? Yeah, where do, where do you get your definition of free speech? That's hilarious. Um, okay, this is unrelated to Tennessee, but it certainly will come here. Did you see that? In general, how is the left pursuing um, its initiatives? When you talk about climate change, quote unquote, because there is no climate change other other than what the Lord will bring at the end of history, and that's going to be a much hotter. <laughs> change of climate than people are expecting but this notion of 
needing to get to zero carbon emissions, which is a, a total farce. People are starting to resist in communities, in states across the country. So Jamie Dimon mentioned this, and I think we might have we might have talked about it very briefly, maybe back in the summer, this notion now of using eminent domain to force people to give up their property rights in order to allow these uh, new Green Deal initiatives to go through because they know that the people are not doing it voluntarily. Mm-hmm. Well, just as we've seen with censorship where the federal government doesn't censor directly but instead encourages and demands that Twitter and Facebook and other platforms, private platforms, well, now there's a shift to businesses uh, deeming themselves to be common carriers, being given permission by the government within certain parameters to be deemed common characters. And now you actually have private businesses making eminent domain claims over private individuals to take their property. Be- and, because of this classification as a common as carrier. As a common carrier, yeah. So you're, you're seeing, it, it's very interesting because the strategy unfolds. It shouldn't surprise us because the, if the government succeeds and has a strategy of using private businesses to stop people from being able to speak freely, why wouldn't they borrow that strategy and use it in other areas? Let's use private businesses to exercise eminent domain carrying out the government's um, role, and maybe it gives them a... It, it, it's coming at us from all directions, right? It's, it's the whack-a-mole process, but I think that we need to be aware of the fact that property rights are being literally taken away, uh, and the plan is to take them away through eminent domain in order to force the Green New Deal um, activities on us. And interestingly, also the, the idea of being run and ruled by corporations... Because that's it's just funny to, to hear that come up again. This morning, it was pretty fun. Brandon Lewis and I from the Tennessee Conservative News did our, our first, his first, my first, our first ever uh, Twitter spaces together this morning. It went really well. So prior to this, you were Twitter spaces virgins, right? Yeah, if you want to put it that way, <laughs> it's fine. It's fair, right? Yeah, I'm not going to go any, any further. I have so many things to, I, I could respond to that with. <laughs> but uh, so... It went really well. You know, we had about 100 folks join in. It was fun, uh, it, and it's been recorded, so you can go on, you know, at Tennessee Stands on Twitter and check that out. But um, one of the things he brought up uh, was corporate welfare. I mean, it's something that very few Republicans talk about, you know. And, in fact, the establishment class seems to love corporate welfare because, well, they call it economic development, mm-hmm. you know, the practice of taking your money and giving it to someone else uh, why? Well, you know, job growth and return on investment. Mm-hmm. And um, it was interesting as we were discussing, and Brandon really nailed it on the head, and he's absolutely right. Corporate welfare, at least for Democrats in Tennessee, I'll say, I don't can't speak to to it nationally, but it seems that for the most part, Democrats in Tennessee and the conservative grassroots agree on this issue of being against corporate welfare, where the odd man out is the Republican mm. establishment class. And one one great example of that is this constitutional amendment for, that we've been fighting against, for example, this SJR 34, where, you know, the state would actually be able to allow, or the state would actually be able to invest tax dollars in such a way as to buy equities in private corporations, right. therefore becoming owners of private corporations. And one of the comments that I made when we were talking about that, it's like, you know, 
we were able to swing half the Senate this year and kill that on the floor, which was great. But the but the General Assembly prior, before we advocated against this bill, we, we didn't know about it at the time. Uh, it, it passed the Senate almost unanimously. There was only one no vote on the bill. And the no vote came from Senator Heidi Campbell, one of the most progressive right. members of the state Senate. So I, I was very curious. I called her and uh, I said, Senator Campbell, I just, you know, and, and again, I, let me preface this by saying this is someone that I probably agree with nothing <laughs> that she supports. But I asked her, I said, why, why did you vote no on that bill? She said, well, I, I just don't think our Constitution allows our government to own private corporations. Mm. I said, well, isn't that something? You know, I mean, you can't find a moderate Republican to utter those words. Right. It's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, Republicans have, in our generation, have equated big business with a good thing, right? And it's all about money. They think that biz, big business is private. I go back to the conversation that I had with Jack Johnson two years ago when he was championing the idea and the notion that a store could, uh, a, a private grocery store, could prevent me from shopping if I didn't wear a mask. And his solution was, because, Kevin, you can still do curbside. Yeah, it's all good. And it never, you could tell in his response that he didn't even think that was preposterous or think that should cause any consternation within me but this this separation has happened slowly it's not been overnight they went from freedom lovers to corporatists but over time as your um what do we call that what do we call that you just put up last week i'm I'm forgetting your voter the report card yeah the report card shows you follow the money as with most things and if you follow the money over time you will see oh the decisions that are made by most of our political leaders are influenced by those who give them money. And don't buy this nonsense that some of them say, well, they give me money, but they really don't affect my decision. Who believes that? Right. No, that's ridiculous. Yeah, and, and it's, it's, it's this acceptance that corporations get to make all the rules, even though, again, th- see, the, the funny thing about that right there where we have to accept the notion that this grocery store can determine whether or not we need to wear a mask. What, what's forgotten in that equation is you can you can be assured that that grocery store most likely received tax incentives to be confident, here. of course. So ima- imagine that. See, it's it's it makes all the sense in the world to these folks. To take our money and incentivize these big box stores to come into our communities, which they certainly reap the blessings and benefits from being mm-hmm. here. And and in turn, they then get to make all the rules and lord over us, even though uh, they have, by law, taken on certain regulations to accept the regulation as a place of public accommodation, which for one – is how they got all that tax incentive money to begin with. So it's 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 incredible that that seemingly the entire structure is is all pivoted towards the the benefit mm-hmm. of the corporation. Yep. Even to the point of of we're even though we're we're the ones funding it. Yep. Not only from tax dollars but we're we're funding it at the consumer level. I mean right. all the way around we're funding it yet they make all the rules. Yes. Yeah, it's it's very few people making rules for all of us. And but Kevin, that's freedom. 
pro. That's well, actually, it's no, it's pro, it's pro business. That's it's pro business. That man. is a classic example of taxation without representation, yeah. right? They're taking our tax dollars. I to, want a seat on your board. Benefit, yeah, to benefit <laughs> these corporations, and we have. I know that elections, of course, make this less and less possible for us to have a say, have a meaningful say with our legislators. But at least there is a propensity to influence your legislators because we elect them. But when the corporations are making those decisions, we're absolutely without representation. We can't go. We're not on the board, as you say. We can't vote them out of town. Right. We can't vote them. We can't go and say, well, Kroger, Publix, Harris Teeter. Uh, whoever might be enforcing a mask mandate, we can't vote and say, well, we've decided that you can't have this mask mandate. And think about this. We've talked about the boondoggle, which is this new stadium, right? What? How many billions of dollars in tax? Uh, half half a billion. So tax money coming out of our pockets because the net result is going to be we're going to have increased taxes to cover yeah, that eventually. jobs, Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> but what happens then when that gorgeous entity uh, that gorgeous infrastructure is built and then whether it be a a mask a a vaccine mandate right all these sports fans getting all excited about whether it's the titans or whether it's a super bowl being hosted here big concert and what do you have to do to get in the venue right complete biometric data in order for you to enter the venue that's our future that's the future when you give corporations and and when we when we express our consternation about it to our legislature, they're just going to say, Kevin, that's private business. Yeah, and when, and when you run for office, they're going to call you anti-business and send out a mailer comparing you to Nancy Pelosi, like you're the bad guy. Well, I do appreciate when that was done to you, Gary, um, being that it wasn't, it wasn't a very subtle <laughs> example. You were clear. You did come out and you said, I am anti-business. If by business you mean, right, you qualified it and you explained it. That's the argument that has to be made. We can't cower and say, oh, no, 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 I'm sorry, I'm for business. Business hasn't been for us. Yep. Business is for business. Yep. I'm, I'm not pro-business, I'm pro-Tennessee. Yeah. What's good for Tennessee is good for me. Um, you know, along that along that same, not, not same, but in, in similar thinking, like, for example, how when we were having this debate as to whether or not, you know, these corporate stores can make these mandates over the population. You know, what got lost in there is the fact that many of them are also subsidized with tax dollars. So I think that's an interesting argument to make. I want to parlay that kind of thinking into a question that's been coming up on school choice. So we're going to, can, can we just, mm-hmm. we're going to do yep. a big pivot here. And then before we, we close, I want to, I want to um, pitch an event to our audience. That's going to be coming up here pretty soon. But um so when you when we're thinking about and I'm bringing this up because it was again it came up in conversation on our our Twitter Spaces uh, debut this morning we talked about school choice a little bit of course I'm Brandon is is a, a hardcore school choice advocate um, I wouldn't call myself anti school choice I just have some uh, grave concerns mm-hmm. about about some of the things that are in the school choice package albeit acknowledging that our our public schools are clearly failing our families. Right. Um, one of the arguments being made is because we're concerned about future regulation following this money, as if we shouldn't be, right? I mean, it's always what happens, since, always strings. Since when does regulations not follow mm-hmm. uh, public money, tax dollars? So, 
the the counter argument being made by some is, well, you know, you're just gaslighting because these these private schools can choose to reject these public funds. <laughs> if if private schools don't want to be regulated, they can they can reject the funds. So let me pose a a thought to those of you who are buying that argument. First off, the concept that the school is going to be able to choose anything is implicitly false and I will I will explain that statement. The the parent the, the premise behind school choice is that the choice as to whether or not to accept the funds rests solely on the parent. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be the parents that are choosing whether or not these are the dollars that they're using to yep. buy their education. That's where the choice is. Okay. And so you're going to say, or the, the opposition would say, well, yeah, but the private schools don't have to accept um, you know, those enrollments. And that's true. But Kevin, let me pose a question to you. Playing devil's advocate here, like yep. if you're you're playing the other side, you know how many how many Tennesseans do you suppose, if you had to guesstimate, are going to reject this quote unquote free money to send their children to school? What, what percentage you think is going to actually, on principle, reject this money? Well, let me let me give you a a qualified answer. Or, or a supported answer, actually. I would say it's less than 10%, and I would base that on this. Uh, what's it called? The Tennessee Promise, which is currently the yes. two, two years of free college. Right, yeah, community college, yeah. Right. yeah. When that first became available, I had a lot of conversations with people about why they shouldn't take that and why are you taking that. But Gary... I can tell you people that identify as conservatives and Christians and liberty-minded people, they use that all the time. I mean, once those once those faucets of money were open, that becomes a starting point for most people to even think about secondary education. Like, why are you doing this? So I would bet that if they're given, what is it, $7,500? No, just over $7,000. Okay, $7,000 per student mm-hmm. per academic year, right? Is yep. that, yes, per student per year, correct. That's an incredible amount of so, money so for, that would so go... So for me, that's $21,000 a year Yeah, well, my three boys. Back when we had children, right? That would have been $42,000 a year. So it's almost as much as one year of college. That's an income. Yeah. So the ability to resist that, it's going to take a very special, disciplined, unique personality. And I would venture to say very, maybe even 5%. Yeah. Let me ask you, do, do you remember in 2020 when the Biden regime was sending out COVID checks? Like you, you didn't request it. Like they were That's checks right. were just showing up in the mail. Right. Actually, in in my case, my when I file my taxes, I, I just pay through ACH. I was blown away. I had no idea. It showed up in my bank account. <laughs> like literally just it was money from the federal government was just put in my personal checking account. That in one sense, is a little freaky. And it'll come out just as quickly. Yeah, that's right. But, you know, Kevin, how many how many Americans do you think sent that sent that COVID money back? No. I And, and that's a little bit different. Yeah. Because, remember, when the COVID lie happened, the government came in and prohibited us from living freely, working freely. In my industry, they closed no, down. No, sure. I'm not arguing so any of those points. But I'm they just... They put people in a position where... 
They had to take yeah, it. Yeah, they had to take it. Yeah. But but again, I'm just speculating. How many how many people on principle sent the money back? No, I don't I don't think many people would have. And they, the government puts you between a rock and a hard place, which is what's going to happen here. That, that's right? right. It's exactly what's going to happen. That's where I'm heading. Uh, you know, one more question. How many people, when when we were under all of these mask mandates, again, because we're supposed to have all of these hardcore mm-hmm. principled people, right? How many, how many kids in Williamson County schools were not wearing masks in the public school? Or teachers. Yeah. Right? And, we, I, and, I, and, we, I, and I know the answer to that. I'll tell you, but go ahead. Well, I was going to say, right? Andrea Gomez... Yeah, she when she, she was, was one of them, right? And it was due to your influence that gave her the courage because she has said that. Um, she decided she was going to walk in without a mask that day, but she stood out like a sore thumb. Right? It's 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 remarkable how everybody else just go along to get along. There were two teachers uh, in in Williamson County that stood firm and were fired for not wearing masks. Two in the entire county. On the student side. Even when we had exemptions that were being accepted, Kevin, even with exemptions, people still wearing them. Most classrooms, you had one child not wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. I mean, the numbers are astronomical. Okay. So this should be a sign to you of human behavior. Now, let me take that into school choice to all of these people that say, well, the private school can just reject the enrollment, they can just reject the money. False, because let me tell you what's going to happen. I I can't imagine there's going to be one private school that exists within the boundaries of the state of Tennessee where at least half with certainty, but I'm going to assume 80%, 90% or higher, they're in all of that enrollment Parents are going to be coming to them with that money, mm-hmm. and that's going to be new students, and that's going to be existing students that now have access to this cash. How is a how is a private school going to be able to make a decision to reject ninety percent of its student enrollment and and stay in business, Kevin? How's that <laughs> going to work exactly? Not only will they not do that, Gary, but I don't have the the data here today, but we can follow up. When the Tennessee promise money was made available, I predicted, didn't take a rocket scientist, that all of the schools across Tennessee would raise their uh, tuition and room and board and all of that. Well, there was a study that came out like one year after the Tennessee promise hit showing all of the schools who had raised their costs. So not only will these private schools and institutions refuse to take the expanded opportunity from students and parents, but they're going to increase the cost, which then furthers the dependency. Now you have families that have taken this money and the costs have been increased at the same time. So they're going to be put back in a short saying, well, I got some money, but not all of it. And they're going to, it's going to be an endless cycle of dependence. Well, because what did the government do? It printed money. Mm -hmm. It's essentially what it did in one sense. It printed money. It created an artificial inflation. My, the point that I'm trying to make is we're we're positioning the conversation all around choice. Everybody, the, the, the concept is everybody's supposed to have a choice. But here's what I'm telling you. Yes, the parents essentially do have a choice. They're going to choose to take the money. And the, when you talk about the school and the regulation, what I'm saying is there will be no choice. There will not be a private school that is not accepting those funds. They 
they won't be able to. They will have to sh- close their doors, which means that when the regulations do come, they're coming for everybody. Mm-hmm. And Kevin, what I'm what I am certain of is that they know this. Yes. It's <laughs> the, part of the plan. The people pushing this agenda are not stupid. They know <laughs> this. They know how this is going to work. And unfortunately, the stupid people, and I, I use that, if you can use the term lovingly, I don't, I don't mean to be personally disparaging of anyone, but as a group, the stupid people are, are on our side. Our, they, those guys, the left is like Lucy, and our side is Charlie Brown. Past is prologue. Didn't they tell us the same thing when the Supreme Court Obergefell decision came down? Don't worry if you still want to live your life as a Christian and you acknowledge that and and are convicted and live by the conviction that marriage is between woman and man only, you're not going to be affected by this decision at all. No, no one's forcing anything on you. The only thing that has changed since Obergefell is that Christians who try to live according to their convictions find themselves being sued, find themselves being canceled, find themselves being left out of jobs, not being able to churches, not being able to hire people who uphold those convictions, not being able to go to the movies, not being able to turn the TV, not being able to walk in the mall. You can't freaking go anywhere or look at anything without having to see all of it. Yeah. And it's not a choice. It's you will believe what they believe That's right. or else. And so, absolutely, this is part and parcel of the leftist plan advancing, and our side continues to say, oh, but we'll have a choice. I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep saying things in hopes that folks on our side who are very supportive, with very good intentions, by the way, again, like I said earlier, we have a broken system. I right. get it. But... I hope people are listening to some of the things that I'm saying and actually considering the real ramifications that are coming down the road from this decision. Mm-hmm. With that, I, I would like to make sure that um, we take an opportunity to to put out our very first invite to a fundraising event that we have coming up on February 3rd. We are very excited about it. Um, listen, and if you've been following Tennessee Stands for three years, you know this. Um, it's it's just one of those things about me. We need money very badly. We we need money. We need support. It's it's how we survive. But we we don't ask for it. I don't. You know, we rarely do or almost never do fundraising campaigns. We have a we have a little <laughs> donate button on our email, and that's about it. And you can't get taxpayer f- funded benefits no. right right we can't no. go to the legislature and ask for a bunch of, a bunch of bonds to be no unfortunately our nonprofit does not get subsidized by yeah. the government well fortunately I, I should say but gary we could provide so many jobs oh yeah we right could if do we got so- millions of taxpayers dollars. that's right we could do so much good kevin so we have our very first fundraising dinner coming up on february 3rd it's a Saturday evening beginning at uh, VIP access opens at 5 p.m. And that's going to be at it's a beautiful venue. It's the upstairs at Puckett's in downtown Columbia, Tennessee. Really great venue. So we're excited uh, to, to do that. It's called Freedom First Tennessee Stands Fundraiser, February 3rd. And we ha- I am so excited. We have a very, very special keynote that's going to be with us, uh, Mr. Steve Dace from the Steve Dace Show uh, on Blaze TV. I mean, Steve is one of those guys that I listen to that I consider sort of an authority 
um, on national uh, polit- national uh, political discourse because not only do I think that he he gets it right most of the time, but I can't think of anyone better that approaches the things that we're discussing from a biblical worldview. And that's what I appreciate most about Steve Dace and why I'm excited about him coming here to Tennessee. So uh, mark your calendars, February 3rd. You can go right now, right now at TennesseeStands.org slash Freedom First. It's TennesseeStands.org slash Freedom First. And reserve your seat. Once we put this out, this is going to go quick. Uh, at 300, the room is full. So uh, if you're listening to this podcast and you want to join us in Columbia, Tennessee, uh, it's a beautiful little town. We're excited to, to do this in Murray County. We would encourage you to go to TennesseeStands.org, Freedom First, and register for our very first fundraising dinner with Tennessee Stands. And we should probably uh, exit with a little Christmas music, right? Since this is our pre-Christmas episode, yeah, put us in the mood. That's great. Oh, back to uh, same song. Well, Parker. did you remember who the who the duettist is? Uh, McKnight. John- yes. What's his first name? <laughs> okay, Brian McKnight. I was going to say Barry. No, it's Brian. There he is. Have Merry Christmas, Gary. Yeah, you as well. Thanks. Merry Christmas to the Cookie family. If you'd like to learn more about Tennessee Stands, visit TennesseeStands.org to donate, volunteer, or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of Tennessee. You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. As Thomas Paine reminded us, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigue of supporting it. Oh